Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's headlines. Indonesia passes a new criminal code outlawing extramarital sex. The International Criminal Court opposes the EU's plan for a Ukraine tribunal. Al Jazeera urges the ICC to investigate the killing of Shireen Abu Akleh. The Trump Organization is found guilty of multiple counts of criminal tax fraud. The U.S. Department of Justice subpoenas election officials in key swing states. Google launches an anti-misinformation campaign in India. The EU says Meta can't run targeted ads without consent. Australia raises interest rates to a 10-year high. Musk's Neuralink faces a federal probe over animal tests. And a report finds that child marijuana use has soared nearly 250% in the last 20 years. In our first story today, Indonesia outlaws sex outside of marriage. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Guardian, CNN, Sky News, E! News Channel Africa, and Voices of America. On Tuesday, Indonesia's parliament unanimously approved a new criminal code making premarital sex, adultery, and live-in relationships punishable by up to a year in prison. Albert Aries, Indonesia's Law and Human Rights Ministry spokesperson, defended the widely criticized amendments, saying they, quote, protect marriage institutions. He added that only a spouse, parent, or child could report acts of extramarital sex. The new criminal code, which also applies to foreigners, further bans insulting the president and the Southeast Asian country's ideology. Yasona Leoli, Indonesia's Minister of Law and Human Rights, said it was time to make a historic decision and leave the colonial criminal code we inherited behind. In 2019, the draft proposal sparked nationwide protests amid fears it would curtail human rights. Rights groups allege sweeping changes to the country's criminal code could threaten civil liberties and religious tolerance. Amnesty International's Indonesia director, Usman Hamid, claimed, we are going backwards, and that our democracy is indisputably in decline. The new criminal code could be challenged in the constitutional court. It may take up to three years before the new law replaces the current legislative framework. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. Here's our narrative spins, beginning with the pro-establishment narrative from CNN. The new law is simply morality policing aimed at suppressing free speech, civil liberties, religious freedom, and legitimate criticism. Not only does it disproportionately affect women, the LGBTQ community, and ethnic minorities in the country, the new criminal code severely dents Indonesia's image as a tourism and investment destination. And the establishment critical narrative comes from Outlook India. Indonesia is a multicultural and multi-ethnic country. The government has done its best to accommodate all interests. For instance, the law maintains that abortion is a crime, but adds exceptions for women with life-threatening medical conditions and in cases of rape. Gay sex is also still legal. Indonesia's attempt to break away from its colonial living legacy needs to be celebrated, not outrightly dismissed. Now for our daily update on the conflict in the Ukraine as we reach day 286 of the fighting, 
where further strikes occur within Russian borders and the ICC prosecutor opposes the EU plan for a Ukraine tribunal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by TASS, Pravda, Newsbud, and the Associated Press. A day after two attacks hit airfields deep within Russia's borders, a further attack was reported in the border region of Kursk on Tuesday. Roman Starovat, governor of the Kursk region, said, An oil tank is on fire as a result of a drone attack near the Kursk airfield. There are no casualties. Starovat added that, Following consultations with Russia's anti-terrorist commission, a decision was made to extend the region's yellow terror threat level, meaning high, for a period of 15 days. Further Ukrainian attacks also continued to be reported in the Donetsk region, where separatist officials from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, said four civilians were killed and seven more injured in the last 24 hours. In the meantime, in Russian attacks on Tuesday, One civilian was killed in Kharkiv while nine people were injured in Donetsk. A further injury was reported in Kherson. Attacks were also recorded in the regions of Sumy, Dnipropetrovsk, and Zaporizhia, with no reports of civilian casualties at this stage. Meanwhile, Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, on Tuesday repeated accusations that Ukraine is committing nuclear terrorism. After alleging that its forces have continued to shell the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, in the last few weeks, Shoigu said that most of the shells fired by Ukraine were intercepted by Russian air defenses, but added that some still hit objects that affect the safe operation of the nuclear power plant. Ukraine has denied striking the ZNPP, which has been under Russian control since the first days of the war, and has alleged that Russia is responsible for the attacks. Elsewhere, Karim Khan, the chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, or ICC, on Monday denounced proposals from the EU to create a special UN-backed court to investigate possible war crimes in Ukraine. Khan, who has his own probe ongoing, said the EU has misstated the law, adding we should avoid fragmentation and instead work on consolidation. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on today's update. We've got two narrative spins, starting with a pro-establishment narrative from PBS NewsHour. This invasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts, such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history. And the pro-Russia narrative comes from the National Security Archive. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate, and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy. We've got our first nerd narrative of the day from our friends at the Metaculous Prediction community, saying there's a 12% chance that there will be a serious radiation incident at any nuclear plant in Ukraine by 2024. In our next story, Al Jazeera urges the ICC to investigate Abu Akleh's killing. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Times of Israel, MSN, and The Guardian. On Tuesday, the Qatar-based Al Jazeera media network submitted a formal request to the International Criminal Court, or ICC, to investigate and prosecute those responsible for the death of journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. 
Abu Akleh, a Palestinian-American who worked for Al Jazeera for 25 years, was killed on May 11th after covering a raid at a refugee camp in Jenin in the West Bank. She was shot in the head while wearing a helmet and a bulletproof vest marked press. Al Jazeera said their submission includes evidence that overturns Israeli claims that Abu Akleh was killed in crossfire and that it confirms without any doubt that there was no firing in the area where Abu Akleh was, other than the Israeli occupation forces shooting directly at her. The move follows an earlier submission from Abu Akleh's family in the ICC in September. After that complaint, a spokesman for Israel Defense Forces, or IDF, told the Times of Israel it rejects the claim that Abu Akleh was shot intentionally and said the establishment of a new investigation would be biased and misleading. Meanwhile, following Tuesday's application of the court, Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid said no one will interrogate IDF soldiers and no one will preach to us about morals of combat, certainly not the Al Jazeera network. It follows similar statements from Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz, who asserted the country won't cooperate with external investigations after the U.S.'s FBI said it was also opening a probe last month. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a pro-Palestine spin on this story coming from Al Jazeera. Abu Akleh was intentionally murdered by Israeli forces while carrying out her job as a journalist. There was no crossfire. She was clearly identified as a journalist, and other reporters at the scene said that they were shot at intentionally. The ICC must open an investigation and get justice for Abu Akleh's family. And the pro-Israel spin comes from the Jerusalem Post. While tragic, Abu Akleh's death wasn't deliberate as was found by multiple investigations. The IDF's probe, which included the U.S., thoroughly investigated the incident in an unbiased way, regardless of what Israel haters have said. An ICC investigation's finding would be no different. I think it's interesting that the facts here kind of reset this story. This wasn't some some up-and-coming, no-name journalist. This was a 25-year fairly prominent reporter for Al Jazeera viewers that they would recognize. This was like a, a, a big person that got killed here. It's not that not that it matters. It's still a, a life, but it's kind of a big deal. The facts do lay out that she was clearly marked as press. And can you imagine wearing a helmet and a bulletproof vest and still being shot in the head? That's I feel like if I need to wear a helmet and bulletproof vest that tells people not to shoot me, I am not going to go there. I. I don't. Yeah. Well, how will you become an investigative journalist, Scott? No, I won't. I won't. The Trump Organization is convicted on all counts in their tax fraud case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC4 New York, The New York Post, CNBC, and The Washington Examiner. In a Manhattan court on Tuesday, the Trump Organization was convicted of tax crimes committed by two longtime executives, including conspiracy, scheme to defraud, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. The company was convicted on a total of 17 counts, and though he wasn't personally a defendant in the tax evasion case involving compensation in the form of perks to its then-CFO, Alan Weisselberg, and other executives since 2005, a prosecutor alleged that former President Trump knew exactly what was going on. Though company lawyers argued Weisselberg acted on his own, 
The 75-year-old former executive testified that Trump's children did nothing in 2017 after allegedly learning about the scheme. He even claimed that he received a $200,000 raise. The verdict came on the second day of deliberations and after three years of prosecutor investigations, with the organization now facing upwards of a $1.6 million punishment. The two organization subsidiaries on trial were the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll Corporation, both of which were found guilty of providing illegal kickbacks to Weisselberg. The verdict doesn't end Trump's battle with the Manhattan District Attorney, with Democrat District Attorney Alvin Brigg having previously said that a related investigation is active and ongoing. That case involves whether Trump misled banks and others about the value of his real estate holdings, golf courses, and other assets. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on this highly political story. We'll begin with a pro-Trump narrative from the Washington Examiner. This case was just another attempt to undermine Trump and his organization with frivolous lawsuits. Weisselberg had already pleaded guilty and is the clear culprit behind the alleged scheme and is the clear culprit behind the alleged scheme. Yet the former president's opposition is quick to use this as a weapon against him. Democrats seemingly won't stop until they've bled Trump dry via legal warfare. And we have a Democratic narrative from Rolling Stone magazine. Attempts to separate Trump from the fraud committed by his company are naive. While the former president may not have been on trial in this particular case, there's no doubt that the businessman was fully aware of Weisselberg's and the rest of the company's doings. The defense had a losing case from the start. And there's a nerd narrative on this story saying there's a 36 percent chance that any U.S. court will rule that Donald J. Trump is disqualified from holding the presidency before January 2025. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. I wonder if Trump's disappointed that the city of New York seems to revile him as much or more than any other place when that's really where he it's where he's from. It's where he made his bones. It's where he became famous. He's a big you know, that's where he had his greatest success. Maybe he's gotten over it. Like it's that point in a relationship where you've had the breakup. He's already he already uh, got on TV saying he wanted a hug from New York. And he's kind of moved past that in the last couple of years. So he's in hell. He's experiencing healthy growth. It's a healthy breakup. They're like him in New York City can like kind of share custody. Oh, I don't think so. All that. No. Okay. The January 6th special counsel subpoenas the swing states. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Washington Post, The Associated Press and Newsbud. Special counsel Jack Smith has reportedly issued grand jury subpoenas to local officials in several key presidential swing states, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, for any communication with former President Donald Trump his campaign, and a series of allies who allegedly aided his effort to overturn the 2020 election results. Smith's first known subpoenas were sent to officials in Milwaukee and Dane counties in Wisconsin, Wayne County, Michigan, Maricopa County, Arizona, and Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. The subpoenas reportedly mentioned many Trump associates, including Rudolph Giuliani, Bernard Carrick, Joe DeGenova, Kenneth Chesbro, and Sidney Powell. Smith was appointed last month by U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to oversee the Department of Justice's investigation into the Capitol riots of January 6, 2021, and the presence of classified documents at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, which were found during an FBI search in August. 
These subpoenas are seemingly part of an effort to broaden the January 6 investigation beyond people who directly took part in the riots to those who may have been involved beforehand. According to a copy of one subpoena published by the Washington Post on Tuesday, the requested information is to be sent to the FBI by December 9th. You can probably guess where these narratives are going, but we're going to read them anyway. Here's the Democratic narrative from CNN. The investigations over January 6th and Trump's possession of classified documents were gathering steam before Smith came in. Now they seem to be ramping up and drilling down on the former president's role in these scandals. The breadth of these subpoenas should be able to gather enough information to charge Trump criminally. And here's a pro-Trump narrative from The Federalist. Smith, a known Democratic hack with a history of persecuting Republicans, is being used by Garland to carry out a political hit job on Trump ahead of his 2024 run for president. It's dangerous when an administration investigates its political opponents for exercising their right to free speech, which was all Trump did when he objected to the 2020 election results. Google launches an anti-misinformation campaign in India. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Express, Indian Express, Reuters, and BBOM. Google subsidiary Jigsaw will launch an anti-misinformation campaign in India to address so-called fake news, often blamed for inciting political and religious tensions. It will use pre-bunking videos on its YouTube and other social media platforms to alert viewers of allegedly false claims before they spread. Following a recent experiment by the search engine in Europe to combat anti-refugee sentiment in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the India campaign will be bigger in scope, dealing with three languages, Bengali, Hindi, and Marathi, and cover a population of one billion people. Jigsaw, in partnership with German-based pro-democracy organization Alfred Landecker Foundation and philanthropic investment firm Amedia Network, and philanthropic investment firm Omedia Network will produce five videos in the three languages. Viewers will be asked to answer a short questionnaire to gauge what they learned about misinformation. As information spreads rapidly in India, government officials have called on companies like Google, Twitter, and Meta to take stronger action against alleged fake news. According to the UK-based research firm Comparatech, India made 97,631 content removal requests in 2020, the second largest after Russia. In 2018, WhatsApp first limited the number of times a user could forward a message to five and later rolled out the forwarded many times feature to combat the spread of fake news and rumors in India after false allegations about child abductors resulted in more than 12 mass beatings with several killed. Company research suggests viewers are 5% more likely to identify misinformation after watching the videos, and Jigsaw's head of research and development, Beth Goldman, said the program will be focused on issues pertaining to the specific country. Results are to be published in summer 2023. Thank you for those facts, Scott. We'll start the narrative spins with an establishment critical narrative, and this is provided by DW. When Google curates or censors information online, it's not doing so for the good of humanity, but to strengthen its grip on the information and advertising market. The citizens of every country need to stand up and call for government crackdowns on such abuses of power while simultaneously propping up smaller tech companies that don't track what you say and to whom you say it. And the Antara Indonesian News Agency brings us the pro-establishment narrative. 
As the leading global search engine, Google has a responsibility to work alongside each and every society it impacts. When radicalizing and hateful information spreads, national unity is at risk, which is why de-escalating programs like this are necessary. Diverse countries around the world are trying to bring people together in a time of fierce division, and big tech has the tools and duty to make a difference. That's an interesting story. It seems like 5% is not a very high number after all that work. Uh, 5% of people are more likely to identify misinformation. I guess in a country of a billion people, 5% is bigger than than you would think. I guess any percent of India is a lot. But yeah, th- it that's, did seem disappointing. It, it, in a, the story earlier about the Trump organization's penalty when they were going to have to pay $1.3 million penalty, it's like, huh, that doesn't, doesn't seem like that much. Uh, and this kind of feels the same way. 5%? Huh. All right. Yeah. We went um, in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, better. Yeah, better than people watch these video and five percent fewer people can use critical thinking. That would be that would be worse. Right, right. Meta's targeted ad model will face EU restrictions. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, CNET, The Wall Street Journal, and Euronews. EU privacy regulators on Monday reportedly ruled that Meta Platforms Incorporated, which includes Facebook and Instagram, can't require users to agree to personalize ads targeting their online activity. The ruling calls on Ireland's Data Protection Commission, Meta's EU regulator, to issue public orders and fines reflecting the decision. Meta can appeal the ruling, but if upheld, it would serve a blow to the company's lucrative advertising business. The news comes after Apple Inc. last year required iPhone app developers to have user consent to track data, resulting in Meta's 2021 revenue declining 8%. If implemented, the EU ruling would now require Meta to seek consent from users for targeted ads. The decision is linked to the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which took effect in 2018 and requires Meta to provide a version of all apps that don't use personal data for ads, while allowing it to use non-personal data for ads or to ask users for consent. The GDPR requires companies to show contractual necessity, prohibiting them from requiring users to turn over personal data except when necessary for the business, such as a delivery app requiring your home address. Though a Meta spokesperson said the GDPR still allows for a range of legal bases under which data can be processed beyond consent or performance of a contract, this won't be the first time they've faced EU scrutiny having received a Facebook-related fine of $275 million in November and a $400 million Instagram-related fine in September. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. Silver Push brings us Narrative A. The online world is desperately searching for better methods of advertising than personalized, targeted ads, which is why the EU is clamping down on big tech's cookies-based system. If Meta wants to place a running shoe ad on a marathon website, that's fine. But collecting and tracking our every click is immoral and should be abolished by laws like this. This is a move in the right direction for privacy protection. And Narrative B comes from the Center for Data Innovation. While this may seem like an altruistic effort on behalf of European social media users and against big tech, there's money being made on the other side, too. 
Companies that rely on contextual advertising rather than targeted ads have spent millions of dollars lobbying the EU to pass this legislation. These companies are engaged in the same selfish lobbying they accuse big tech of doing. The, the main problem I have with buying stuff off of Facebook is that it takes forever to ship to you, I feel like. We're all used to Amazon's fast shipping. If you buy something from Facebook, it's always on a slow boat from China, I feel like. It is, and it's and it's always – the quality is uh, leaves something to be desired. Yeah, yes. Yeah, dubious. Australia raises rates to a 10-year high. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, CNBC, Al Jazeera, and the Reserve Bank of Australia. In its eighth hike in eight months, the Royal Bank of Australia, or RBA, raised interest rates by a quarter point to a 10-year high of 3.1%, while doubling down on its stance that more hikes will be needed to slow inflation. According to RBA Governor Philip Lowe, the bank expects interest rates to continue rising, but added that the hikes are not on a preset course. At 6.9% over the year to October, Australia's inflation is well above the RBA's target, with Lowe in a press release saying he expects it to peak around 8% during the December quarter before declining next year. Factoring in all seven rate hikes since May, the average monthly mortgage cost in Australia has reportedly increased by 1,000 Australian dollars, or 672 American dollars. Australia had been defying the global trend of aggressively increasing rates as it was only hiking rates at about half the expected levels in previous months. Thanks, Scott, for the facts on that story. We've got several narrative spins, the establishment critical narrative coming from the Australian Financial Review. The Australian people, specifically homeowners, deserve an apology from Philip Lowe and the RBA for the deception that has led to their financial hardship. Lowe repeatedly said that the official cash rate would not increase until 2024, leading many to buy homes not knowing the ensuing pain to come from the RBA's action. Al Jazeera is here again with a pro-establishment narrative on this story. During difficult political and economic times, the Australian government is doing a good job. With October showing a slowdown in the pace of inflation, the RBA's rate hikes are already showing signs of cooling the economy. While these measures place a temporary burden on homeowners, in the long run, this is what will help curb the record prices. My hometown uh, was the uh, the kangaroos was our high school mascot. Mm. And the uh, nature preserve that was in our town had a little wallaby, which is basically like a little junior sized kangaroo. Right. And they would bring it to our pep rallies and like have it bounce around the gym floor and everyone, (laughs) you know, cheer. So it was always fun. That's really uh, cool. Yeah, it was cool. And but one day this wallaby, so this miniature kangaroo got loose and it was just around town and. I don't know if you remember the old tropes about like kangaroos used to box that was like in cartoons and things right. like that. Uh, yeah, apparently the bank downtown in the middle of town, someone was at the drive through and this little wallaby jumped up and punched the guy at the bank drive through and then bounced away. <laughs> and that's that was like in the newspaper. That's you know man punched by kangaroo at bank drive in. Is that for real? <laughs> In our next story, Elon Musk's Neuralink is investigated over animal deaths. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Reuters, The Daily Mail, 
Global News and CNBC. Twitter CEO Elon Musk's brain implant tech firm Neuralink is reportedly under investigation by the U.S. Department of Agriculture over alleged violations of the Animal Welfare Act. According to a Reuters report, the USDA Inspector General opened the federal probe after current and former employees alleged that Musk's pressure to speed up research has caused needless suffering and deaths of about 1,500 animals since 2018. Reuters added that Musk's demands to rush animal testing after missing several deadlines allegedly resulted in botched experiments. Since failed tests have to be repeated, employees say more animals than necessary had to be tested and killed, including sheep, pigs, rats, mice, and monkeys. However, the total number of animal deaths doesn't necessarily indicate that Neuralink is violating regulations, and the company has passed all USDA inspections of its facilities according to regulatory filings. The investigation comes at a time Neuralink is hoping to start testing its coin-sized implants in human brains within six months. Musk insists Neuralink's devices could someday solve autism and schizophrenia, restore vision for the blind, and reinstate full-body functionality for paralyzed people. Thanks for those fascinating facts, Melissa. We have an establishment critical narrative on this story from The Guardian. This is a win for animal rights and a step in the right direction to holding Neuralink accountable for the long list of animal abuse allegations it faces, but the company must face the maximum penalty available per violation. It's ironic and twisted that Musk intends to revolutionize human minds by inflicting unimaginable suffering on those of animals. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from Neuralink. There's no evidence that Neuralink's animal testing practices are inhumane or that it has broken the law. The hard truth is that all new medical devices and treatments must be tested in animals before they can be ethically trialed in humans. Nevertheless, Neuralink has shown its commitment time and again to working with animals in the most humane and ethical way possible. We have a cynical narrative on this story from Independent. Musk's actions are hardly an isolated incident. Despite mounting public concern and the availability of validated non-animal methods for scientific research, more and more laboratories worldwide are scheduling animals for terminal procedures in their quest to amaze humanity. Moreover, animal testing is not only cruel, but so often ineffective. In fact, 90% of drugs that successfully pass the initial animal tests fail in human trials, this must end. There's a nerd narrative on this story, Scott, saying there's a 1% chance that commercial animal farming will be prohibited in the U.S. before 2041, and that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Obviously, there's some work to do on getting these things kind of refined, but in the event that they came to market and were just kind of a regular thing, would you have any interest in getting a augmented brain implant, Melissa? I used to think when I was younger, like, I, yeah, I want to become a bionic woman. Like, give me the nano cells and heal so I can be unstoppable. Uh, and now I think, uh, you know, it just doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at some point, the ultimate terminal condition is getting old and dying. I think maybe this stuff will eventually let people prolong their lives unnaturally. I think it's got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. I think once there's artificial intelligence that can... Uh, you know, like, okay, maybe taking this animal testing out and putting it into the virtual world and testing virtual humans, like that maybe is the way to go. 
put that product that was tested in a virtual realm into a human brain, I bet it would do better than uh, these, you know, 90% of drugs that are failing after yeah, human. I, yeah. I think you may have just hit on a multi-trillion dollar idea, right? Why, why can't, I wonder if they are testing things in that way, at least as a first step. Like, let's say, you know, they said 90% of these, the uh, animal testing is ineffective. Let's say, okay, so then 10% is effective. Can we get 90% of those animal testings not to have to happen because we've done virtual tests or something at this point? With this kind of innovation uh, in artificial intelligence, uh, drugs or products that extend life, uh, you can do the exact opposite, uh, which is use those for war um, right. and kill massive amounts of people in terrible ways. So right. the, the safety part needs to happen before the innovation gets too carried yeah, away. Let's get that is. right. Well, yeah, the question, right. Does our wisdom outstrip our technical abilities? And at various times it has in the past. Right. And our final story, a study claims that child marijuana use soared 245% in the last 20 years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, Independent, Time Magazine, NewsBud, and The Daily Mail. According to a study from the Oregon Health and Science University that analyzed over 330,000 reports from the National Poison Data System, U.S. child and teen marijuana use increased by 245% between 2000 and 2020. The study covered all substances, but marijuana saw the largest increase. Coinciding with a steady decline in teen drinking, the research published in the journal Clinical Toxicology showed the increase was for children aged 6 to 18, with 80% of all reported cases being teens aged 13 to 18 and 58.3% in males. Cannabis cases rose 25% between 2010 and 2017, before jumping 40% between 2017 and 2020, with the study's lead author noting that it coincided with recreational marijuana legalization in Michigan, Illinois, Arizona, and 10 other states. Out of the 338,000 cases involving all drugs, 7% of reports to poison centers were due to marijuana, with yearly weed cases jumping from 510 in the year 2000 to 1,761 in the year 2020, and that's that 245% increase. Weed also overtook alcohol in 2014, with edible weed products accounting for the highest increase in calls to poison control centers over the entire study. Though marijuana saw the highest increase in abuse reports, household products and pharmaceuticals are still the most commonly misused. Cold and cough medicine dextromethorphan accounted for the most youth drug abuse cases between 2001 and 2016. Youth marijuana carries the risk of symptoms such as episodes of psychosis, memory problems, worsened mood, and trouble in school. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that last story. Narrative A here comes from the New York Post. Just as the anti-marijuana legalization movement warned us, as more states legalize the substance and normalize its culture, more young Americans get caught in the crossfire. Weed can absolutely be addicting, and rates of such addictive behavior have been on the rise, hindering two decades of decline in cigarette smoking. As children face rising rates of depression, substances like marijuana only worsen the epidemic. Narrative B comes from Marijuana Moment. This study doesn't mean that youth marijuana use is on the rise due to legalization of marijuana. 
Many other studies this year, specifically focused on marijuana use in states that have legalized recreational weed, have shown no increase, which should put an end to the blame game against marijuana legalization. And we end today's program with a nerd narrative from our friends at Metaculus saying there's an 85% chance that marijuana will be legal for recreational use in a supermajority of strongly Republican U.S. states before 2041. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same sources. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. If you'd like more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.